You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good, and thank you for joining us on today. We want to deal with the topic of spousal payments as we're dealing with our topic or subject of Christianity and divorce. Um, I think it is a subject that hasn't gotten much teaching on, and I believe many of the teachings have been tremendously inaccurate. It's a subject that I didn't think much was written on in the scriptures when I began this subject or studying this out. I couldn't find much on the subject of divorce. And to my surprise, um, I've written a total so far far of 40 chapters on the subject of divorce. And so um, on today, what I want to do is is dig into the subject of spousal payments, which is throughout the scriptures. Uh, Last week, we finished with the story of of David at the end of last week's episode and his marriage with Michael, the daughter of King Saul. And so what I want to do is take a little time today to go through that particular story. I think many of you are familiar with the scriptures, especially of the life of David. And so what I'm going to do is just run through the stories so I can now highlight this particular subject. And this will make more sense to the life of David and other things that we've seen throughout the scriptures. But uh, as I explained on last week, I thought the the marriage between David and Michael would have been labeled a a adulterous marriage because of the law of Moses. And so the law of Moses states in in Deuteronomy 24, verse one, when a man hath taken a wife and married her and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement. And give it in her hand and send her out of his house. Um, As I mentioned before, this was not simply writing a document and giving it to the woman and then kicking her out of the home. The requirement was that they had to go to the Sanhedrin. So there's a long process. I'll go through this very quickly. We'll take more time on this later. But they have a writing called the Ketubah that they, they filled out and... It explained the details of their marriage. It explained what the woman would receive in case of death and also a divorce. And so it's a very detailed document. Um, It deals with money, payments, things of this nature. And so all this was written in the ketubah, which had to be brought to the priest. Mind you, you cannot get divorced for adultery. Adultery was punishable by death. So, so that wasn't even an option. So uh, when divorces would occur, they would go to the Sanhedrin, they would bring the ketubah, they would read through it to understand the dividing of the assets, um, what the husband had already committed to paying the woman. So the divorcement had to be written by a scribe, and they would write the document out, place it into the hand of the husband, who would then place it into the hand of the wife, and then she was required to leave at that point. What we do in our culture is we leave, we separate beforehand. So that's the putting away. We see that term throughout the scriptures, putting away. So we separate first and then we divorce. But in their day and age, uh, Moses told them to divorce first and then put her out of the house. So then separate. 
At verse 2, this is Deuteronomy 24, verse 2. When she has departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. It was not prohibited uh, for her to remarry. And it also affected the ketubah because the ketubah also includes the dowries. We'll deal with all this in detail later. But the dowry, the amount given by the father to the groom um, would be a lesser amount if the woman was a, a widow, um, if she was divorced, if she was a slave, things of this nature. Uh, the virgins got the highest amount of money. And so uh, at this point, the woman can go off and be another man's wife. If the latter husband hates her, writes her a bill of divorce and gives it in her hand and sends her out of her house. So now she's had a second divorce or this is verse three. Or if the latter husband dies, which she took, which took her to be his wife. So now we have two scenarios. Either she's divorced a second time or she becomes a widow with the second marriage. At verse four, it explains her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So with my understanding of this law, the woman was permitted to remarry as long as she had her bill of divorce, but she could not go back to the first or former husband's. So now with this thinking in mind, as I'm reading through the story of David, um, and we'll jump ahead and through this story quickly. David was promised Merib, the oldest daughter of Saul. And of course, knowing how Saul was, he decided to give her to another man. And then uh, when he found out that David's, uh, his youngest daughter, uh, Michael, loved David, then decided to give Michael to David to be his wife. This is following the killing of Goliath, the giant. So now David has become a national figure. He's a national name. He is known throughout the entire nation. And so the promise was that whoever killed Goliath would receive the daughter's hand in marriage. Now, this is important that we don't don't just quickly read through these stories because we talk about marrying Joseph and all these other um, engagements or betrothal. We need to know these words. Um, when, when you see this language, there's a certain series of events that must come to mind. In our modern day society, when we get engaged, um, when I propose to my wife, um, you know, sometimes they get down on one knee, sometimes they take you out to dinner, but we have our ways of basically uh, popping the question, is what, what we say, pop the question, present a ring, um, and then she says yes, which is her now entering into the agreement that she is promising to marry you. Um, the process was much different in Jewish tradition, even today. So in their experience, the fathers would come and get together and discuss um, different payments. They will look at the prestige of the family. And so a wealthy man... Um, for his daughter's hand, because what the husband is coming to do, seeking to marry this man's daughter, I'm going to remove her as a piece of the family, a valuable piece. And so the father needs to be compensated for the loss of his daughter. So we, we use the word spousal payment 
but he's not buying her. It's not like a slave sort of uh, trade or uh, uh, transaction. So the father would put a value on his daughter. And if the young man was able to meet that cost or the price, I should say, then they would consider this woman now being his wife. Now, mind you, the fathers are part of this uh, negotiation process. And also, the daughter could not be given away for marriage without her consent. She had to consent to this agreement. All right, so based on that, we, we understand that if a father's wealthy, then poor men didn't have the means or ability to take care of a woman on that status, of that status or on that stature. So I think it's important we understand these details as we're about to go through the story of David because we're going to watch this spousal process play out. It's the betrothal process. All right, so after David kills Goliath, this is 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says that David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son in law to the king. So David understood where he was financially, his status, and he also stood, understood who the king was. He understood the marital process. This was normal within their community. So now the oldest daughter's promise to David, this is Merab, and what Saul decides to do is give her to Adriel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 19. So the first daughter is given, given to Adriel to be his wife. At verse 20, when Saul realizes that Michael loved David, he decides now, let me give her, give him my youngest daughter. At verse 21, he comes up with this idea in the back of his head that he could use the Philistines to kill David. So now this is when the negotiations begin. So they send servants to talk to David. And the scripture says this was a secret conversation. And he says, this is verse 22. Behold, the king hath delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, be the king's son-in-law. All this is manipulation is lies because Saul is trying to get him to agree so that if he goes off and fight the Philistines, hopefully they will kill him and then David will be taken out of the picture. So at verse 23, David says to them, seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed? So he's basically saying, I don't have the means to take the, the king's daughter. I, don't, I can't afford the dowry. I can't f afford the spousal payment that's going to be demanded of me. At verse 24, the servants of Saul told him, saying, on this manner spake David. And so Saul's response, verse 25, thus shall ye say to David, the king desireth not any dowry. And in this case, we're going to use the word the ketubah. He's not desiring a certain payment. So we're going to go through all these different definitions, um, maybe not today, um, so that we can understand this story that's transpiring. But what he's saying is to him, I don't, I'm not looking for a spousal payment for you, from you for my daughter. He said, what will suffice is 100 foreskins of the Philistines. He said, avenge the king, uh, basically go and kill the king's enemies. And, but this was Saul's thinking. This is all explained in verse 25. Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. 
Verse 26. And when his servants told David these things, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, they slew other Philistines, 200 men. And David brought their foreskins, they gave them in full tale to the king, and he, that he might be the king's son-in-law, and Saul gave Michael his daughter to wife. So in this particular story, David did not make a spousal payment for the king's daughter's hand. Now, this is also important because with David becoming uh, the king's son-in-law, it gave him legal rights to the throne. God does not overstep order. He does not break laws. I hear people say that all the time. God is God. He could do whatever he wants. Why would God put in laws in place and then he himself break all the laws that he puts in place? So I've learned one thing about God is that when he does things, there's probably a higher law that is in place that man needs to come up higher to understand. And so I've had him explain things to me. And I was like, never saw from that point of view. That makes perfect sense. So God is not a lawbreaker. He doesn't require the children to abide by laws that he himself turns around and breaks. He puts these laws in place because the laws of God are really who he is. It's how he moves, how he thinks, how he uh, enacts justice. This is the God that we serve. Okay, so he lines David up to be, uh, have legal rights to the throne. Let's jump ahead into the story. Saul's trying to take David's life again. He, he flees through a window. Michael helps him down the window. She puts the bed together as if there's a man in bed, kind of to distract them, give David more time to get away. So David escapes, and he's gone for years. We don't know the length of time. But as I've explained, the women, Jewish women, could not divorce the men. Absolutely not. Not, not possible. Um, what they could do is go to the court and ask the court to compel the husband for a divorce, but they themselves could not go and free themselves from the marriage. Number two, if the man disappears for a length of time, everyone knows that she's still married. So man could be gone five years, 10 years, 20 years. It doesn't matter. Everyone in town knows she's married. So until she gets divorced, a bill of divorce has to be put in her hand or she becomes a widow. Those are the only ways that she can move on and remarry. So now we have a problem because in this story, King Saul takes Michael and gives her to another man. So in 1 Samuel 25, down at verse 44, it says that Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Felti, the son of Laish, which was of Galim. Now, I heard the pronunciation Felti, so that's the pronunciation we'll use today. So now we understand that this woman is married to David. She's been giving to another man. My assumption, uh, and I am assuming, I don't do this too often with teaching, but the assumption is that this man uh, was not going to tell the king he would not marry the daughter. Technically, he could not marry her. The king should have never have done this. But he gives the daughter away. She enters into a second marriage. So we got to understand the process. This means there was a ketubah that was drawn up 
because there had to be negotiations between the two fathers or if dad's not around, possibly the mother and son. And then they would write the ketubah, which would outline what this marriage would look like. It would outline the dowry that the father gave to the daughter. It outlines uh, the, also a payment made by the, the groom to the wife in case of a divorce. It generally matched the amount of the dowry. There were exceptions. Sometimes the husband would agree to pay 50% of the dowry. Sometimes he would agree to pay one third or one fifth. And then there was other times where they decide to pay one over the amount given by the father uh, to the bride. And this was in case of a divorce. This was the amount that was to be paid her. Um, so that means all these agreements had to be made with this man, Filthy, and his father. And they had to sign a ketubah. And then they would enter into this, this ritual where they would party and have the dinner. And then a year from now, they would enter into the, the marital vows and have the big full-blown wedding. And so that means she had another national wedding. The whole nation knows that she's David's wife, but now she's entered into a second marriage. And so, as I read from the beginning from the book of Deuteronomy, this should have been labeled an adulterous marriage because now she's married to two men. So now let's jump ahead in this story. David's been gone for years. And as I said, just because a man is gone does not mean a woman can move on and remarry. She can't get divorced without receiving a bill of divorce from the husband. So at this point, she is legally married to two men. David shows up after being gone. And it says that if we go to 2 Samuel chapter 3, David uh, is speaking with Abner. It says Abner sent a message to David on his behalf. It said, whose, whose is the land? Saying also, make thy league with me and behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel unto thee. So basically Abner and David want to enter into a pact and, or a covenant. And David's response to him at verse 13 says, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of you, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So at verse 14, David sent his message through Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, deliver me my wife, Michael, which I espouse to me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And then it says at verse 15, Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Filthy. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her. Then said Abner unto him, go return and he returned. So that's the end of this man's story. So now David reminds them of his payment for the daughter. Spousal payments are very important. So let's give you another example of a spousal payment. We all know the story of Jacob. So what Jacob did when he arrives at Laban's house, which is very interesting because he received a double portion Jacob and Esau. Jacob receives the double portion. Hands are laid upon him. He's blessed. He left with increase. He had money. He had wealth. 
But when he arrives at Laban's house, all he has is his staff. I will not go through that story of what transpired between that journey. But my point is, when he arrives at Laban's house, he has no money to make a spousal payment for a wife. We all know the story. So he and Laban negotiates and they make an agreement. And the agreement was that he would work for seven years for Rachel. So he works for seven years. The day of his marriage, we find that Laban gives him the first daughter, Leah. So he marries Leah. And then he's, once he realizes what transpired, that he's been tricked, he then makes a second agreement with Laban to work another seven years. And if you read the story closely, you realize that Rachel was given to him the next week. So at this point, um, he had basically two marriages within about a week span, and he's married to the two women. Okay, so now he works for a total of 14 years. And if we do, let's do some, some basic numbers. Let's use 100,000. Let's say Jacob worked in his payment or his, uh, his check or his salary as an employee would have been 100000 a year. Then for Leah, he paid Laban $700,000. That's a spousal payment. And then for Rachel, he agreed to pay another seven years at a rate of $100,000. That would have been another $700,000, which means he would have paid Laban $1.4 million for his daughters. Now, when we look at it from that vantage point, the story takes on a whole different light. Spousal payments are very important. That's why the, the concept of, of men abusing their wives, of, of looking at them like, like basically servants, you, you don't put a servant's price. A servant is not $1.4 million. So there's a value placed on the woman that is critical that we understand this. Why is this important to our faith? Because Jesus is married to the church. And what was the price that he paid? He gave everything. He paid with his life. So there was no exchange of money. What he paid was with his blood. So he gave his blood and in return, he received the woman, the church, the body of Christ. And so that's why it's important that we, we understand these natural experiences, these natural examples is written in the scriptures for a purpose. It provides spiritual understanding, spiritual insight into how this works. This is why we can't misteach the subject of divorce, because there are so many spiritual truths that are built on this natural concept. So it's important that we get a lot of these details correct. So now back to David. He's reminding them of the payment that he made. He didn't pay a dowry. There was no uh, uh, a, a spousal payment that was made for his wife, but he did provide the foreskins, and that was the agreement. That was the covenant. So now he receives his wife, and the wife is brought back to him. This is where the, the misconception began for me in my reading. So here I'm thinking that David is in an adulterous marriage, and I'm thinking that uh, he, he can't touch her because she's been defiled by another man. So the story is that Michael and David get into it. Um, David is returning the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. He's da dancing before the Lord in his delight. 
Michael is so upset that he came out of his his kingly robes that she begins to make some nasty statements to him. And David reminds her that God had chosen him above her father. So if we go to second Samuel, chapter six, at verse 23, it says, therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. My assumption was always that David never touched her again after that argument. So she never had any kids. But this is not true. As I was reading through Jewish writings, what I discovered was that there is a list of David's children. This list could be found in 2 Samuel chapter 3. There's also one in Chronicles. But here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, I'm going to just do this quickly at verse 5. The sixth son born to David, his name is Ithrium. This is 2 Samuel 3, 5. The wife's name is Iglah, E-G-L-A-H, and it says David's wife, and it says that this child or these children were born to David in Hebron. What we don't realize is the Jewish story is that Michael's name was changed to Iglah. The word Iglah is translated heifer or calf. And the story is that on the day that she gave birth to her baby, that she began to bleat like a sheep and the sound that she was making as she was giving birth, they began to call her in essence, a sheep or a calf, a baby calf or a heifer. And so they changed this woman's name to Igla and she died in childbirth. Now I was like, how could David touch her? Well, the story is that Filthy never touched her or consummated the marriage. There was a sword that remained in between them as they laid in bed and they would not cross that sword. Otherwise, they would use it to kill each other. So he, he honored David's marriage, knowing that this was David's wife. The Jewish teachers teach that Proverbs 31, the story of the virtuous woman, verse 29, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. They're talking about this man, Filthy, who would not dishonor God by touching David's wife. It's an amazing story, a fascinating story. And this is why David's marriage was not an adulterous marriage. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.